Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? In the season's worst conditions, winter tires are a game changer. They elevate traction, control, and confidence. They sell only the best, like the full line of hand-cooked tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to your one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance, visit geico.com for a free rate quote. I hope all of you are having a fantastic Monday morning, and some of you are, if the games went as well as you had hoped they might over the weekend, and others of you are sitting around staring at your radio, staring off in the distance as you drive into work this morning thinking, Why, why, why did things go as they did? We've got a lot to get to. I was at Ohio State, Penn State. Incredible ending there. We will talk about all the college football games. We will talk about all the NFL games. Effectively, we are done almost with a quarter of the NFL season. We have one game left, Chiefs at Broncos tonight uh, on Monday Night Football. The Chiefs are a a three-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. That's the final game and then we will be 25% through the season. Tomorrow, we'll give you our top five, bottom five in the NFL. We will be running through all of the uh, kind of landscape of the NFL with 25% of the season in the books. But for now, let's start with the NFL. There were an awful lot of games to react to. And there were three games in overtime that I think are worth paying some substantial attention to because all of them were pretty wild down the stretch with how they uh, finished themselves. And and all of them had really intriguing questions. We also had an unbelievable ending in Atlanta that came down to the final couple of seconds of that game as well. So, But let's start with the overtime games. The Titans went to overtime against the Super Bowl defending champion Philadelphia Eagles. And what a remarkable ending to that game. The Titans win in overtime on a touchdown pass from Marcus Mariota to Corey Davis after, this is how things can go well in overtime, after the decision by Mike Vrabel to not kick a field goal on fourth down and go for the win instead. Now, that contrasts with the way Frank Reich's uh, situation went with the Indianapolis Colts, and I'll get to that in a minute. But with the Titans facing a fourth and two and a 49-yard field goal on the table. Vrabel ran out his field goal unit, then changed his mind, took a timeout, put back out his offense, and on fourth and two, the Titans picked up, I believe it was 17 yards, and then I believe, 
I believe we have the audio of what it sounded like on the final play of the game. Third and 10, third and goal from the 10. Marcus Mariota drops back to pass, and this is what it sounds like. This is going to be the play for the win, barring a penalty. Blitz coming. Mariota throws in the end zone. Man is there. Touchdown, Titans! That was Mike Keith, Titans Radio Network. So, big takeaway here is the Tennessee Titans are in love with Mike Vrabel. I, as a Titans season ticket holder who goes to all these games, am in love with Mike Vrabel. The Titans now 3-1, three straight victories, two of them in division. If the season ended right now, they would win the AFC South. And this is the kind of win, I believe, that is going to propel the Titans to good things this year. Because Mike Vrabel had faith in his team. Everything that he has done has basically worked so far. Marcus Mariota coming back from an injury, still not having great feeling in his fingers, over 300 yards, completed 15 straight passes in the second half, outdueled Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles. So for the Titans... They are ecstatic as they get ready for week five. They'll be going on the road, feel like they have a good chance to beat Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. For the Eagles, I, man, this is a tough loss for the Eagles. Now the Eagles go back home, and they've got the Vikings coming to town for an NFC Championship game rematch. And we know the Vikings, I believe, and it's a confusing schedule because of all the ties, are sitting at 1-2-1. One, and one. The uh, the Eagles are sitting at 2-2, two and two, and whoever loses this game is really, really going to be in a lot of trouble. Now, maybe not tremendous trouble in the NFC East because everybody looks thoroughly mediocre, but if you are the Eagles, I think you have to be a little bit nervous about the way this game played itself out. So that is one of the overtime games. Let's go to another overtime game in the AFC South as well, Indianapolis. This is a different decision. We heard Mike Vrabel decides to go for it in overtime. The difference is Mike Vrabel was in a situation where his team was losing. So his team was losing in this game, and he chose not to attempt what would have been a 49-yard field goal and go for the tie on fourth and two. So he got aggressive, but he was going for the win And also, he wasn't setting up the other team in the event that he fails so that they have an opportunity to end the game. If he had missed the field goal or if they had missed on fourth down, the game would have been over. Well, Frank Reich, in a tie game against the uh, Houston Texans, decides to go for it from his own side of the field, doesn't get it. The Texans come back, hit a big pass from Deshaun Watson to DeAndre Hopkins, and then they make a field goal, and there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of criticism right now of Frank Reich, even if it wasn't from his own locker room. I believe we have audio of him discussing the decision to go for it on fourth down and overtime between the Colts and the Texans. Here is that discussion. We're not playing to tie. I mean, we're going for that ten times out of ten. That's just the way it's got to roll. Yeah, I think that's who we're going to be as a team. You know, we're, we're going to be aggressive. That's what that's what we want in our players. That's a mindset that we have in our players. That's the only way to win in this league, I think. Whenever you lose, you always go back and you reevaluate every play. In the perfect scenario, we don't call timeout. We just go for it the first the first time. I mean, there's no doubt that's the that's the way it probably is best to play it out. But that's not how it played out. So that's on me. So those are two different outcomes. The uh, Colts fall to one and three, and in a one and three record. By the way, Andrew Luck four hundred and forty yards passing in this game, and they fall to one and three, having to go on the road now against the New England Patriots, who we'll get to in a second. Who I thought were also one of the big storylines. The other overtime game, as if there weren't enough uh, of the overtime games to begin with, the Raiders go to overtime against the Browns. The finale is 45-42. The Raiders miss a field goal early in overtime, come back to win. First win of the season for John Gruden. Derek Carr, four touchdown passes, 
game-tying two-point conversion with 30 seconds left in regulation. And finally, a 29-yard field goal in overtime gives the Raiders the first win. Uh, I, do we have audio of that field goal? I bet we do. Uh, and for Browns fans, they have now fallen to tied with last place with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Here is that audio of the Raiders' win in overtime. For the win. Good. Ring the church bells. The Raiders are a winner. Just finished, baby. How about that? Finally got one. Hugs go all around. What a gutsy game. That's the Raiders uh, radio network on that win to get off the schneid. So as a result, there is only one winless team left in the NFL. It is the Arizona Cardinals who lost to the uh, Seattle Seahawks, and we'll get to that game in a second. All right, those were the three overtime. There's so many stories in the NFL. So many stories in the NFL to get to. Those were the three overtime games. Late last night, for those of you who fell asleep, the Ravens beat the Steelers. The Ravens win 26-14 over the Steelers. And as a result, when you look at uh, at the standings in the AFC North, the Steelers are in a rare place. They are in last place. They are 0-2 at home. They are 1-2-1 overall. Same record as the Browns. But they have now fallen to last place. The Bengals and the Ravens are both 3-1 opening up some early distance between themselves and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Remember that the Bengals beat the Ravens, so if the season were ending today, the Bengals would be in the playoffs. So that is a pretty significant situation and storyline there to follow in the NFC North. All right, the Patriots. Everybody, myself included, starting to think that the Patriots might be left for dead. They went out and destroyed the Miami Dolphins, and as a result, they are only one game back now in the AFC East. The Dolphins started off 3-0. and They fall to 3-1. and Don't put dirt on the grave of Brady, Belichick, and the Patriots just yet. Uh, the Cowboys also avoid total disaster. Win at home against the Lions. They're now 2-2 two and two in a suddenly wide-open NFC East, they are right at the top of that division and in the mix, despite how bad we thought they have played. The Bengals, what an unbelievable touchdown from Andy Dalton to A.J. Green. I bet we have the audio on that one, too. Right at the end of the game, the Falcons uh, and the Bengals, neither one have a defense. This game went back and forth the entire way. Uh, this, Do we have the audio of this, uh, Justin Cooper? We're going to find that, but that was an incredible ending as well. I will play that for you. The Seahawks. The Cardinals are the only winless team in the NFL. The Seahawks find a way to win 20-17, to but as he is carted off the field with a broken leg, in an unbelievable move, Earl Thomas flicks off his own sideline, sends the middle finger in their direction because they would not sign him to a long-term extension. You would expect that this is, uh, at least supposedly, a uh, injury that he can fully recover from and that Earl Thomas will be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, you don't think that they're going to fr uh, franchise tag him and that he will be able to sign with someone else. This is why he held out because he wanted uh, a, a, a substantial money uh, commitment there. Those are what I think are the biggest stories from the NFL. I believe we should have that audio now of the Bengals and the Falcons touchdown play. If you didn't see this highlight, this is how it ended in Atlanta. 12 seconds to go. Dalton back to throw. His Boom! pass. Boom! Yeah! AJ Green. Yeah! Touchdown! Bengals! Big! The clock is winding down, but it should be stopped with five seconds to go. Joe Mixon ran down the sideline and jumped on top of AJ Green in celebration, and Joe Mixon looked good. <laughs> that is the Bengals radio network. Those are all the reactions from the NFL uh, week four. Certainly, we will continue to unpack all of these storylines. I think it's interesting at this point in time to say, okay, where would we be? And obviously, we still have one game left with Kansas City going up against Denver. But where would we be right now a quarter of the way through the season? Who would be your playoff teams? I know it's early, but 25% of the NFL season is done. Here's what that would look like in terms of division leaders. The Miami Dolphins, even though they got their ass kicked by the New England Patriots this weekend, would be your number one uh, division winner in the AFC East. 
In the AFC North, you'd have the Cincinnati Bengals winning the tiebreak over the Baltimore Ravens by virtue of their head-to-head win. In the AFC South, you'd have the Tennessee Titans as the AFC South division winners by virtue of their head-to-head win over the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have the same record. We'll see what would happen tonight's game in the AFC West. Whoever wins tonight's game in the AFC West, whether it's the Chiefs or the Broncos, will be in position to uh, to have control of that division with uh, four weeks in. The Washington Redskins are, I believe, on bye this week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they are sitting at 2-1, and one, and that would put them at the top of the NFC East. So even though they're just 2-1, and one, you've got Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles both sitting at 2-2. Two and two. The Giants, even though they're 1-3, not that far out, that division probably going to be messy all year. In the NFC North, I should have mentioned this game as well. Sorry that I did not. The Chicago Bears... Mitch Trubisky, six touchdown passes, and they dominated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, leading Dirk Cutter to say that everybody on the team should be fired. Fitz Magic goes up in flames. They bring in Jameis Winston. He throws two touchdowns, uh, a touchdown pass, but two interceptions as well in a thorough beatdown there. Uh, and uh, so the Chicago Bears would win the NFC North if the season were coming to a close right now. In the NFC South, Carolina Panthers are on a bye, so the NFC South would be the New Orleans Saints, would have that division at 3-1, and one. and your only remaining undefeated team that is currently 4-0, and oh, the Rams, obviously, and we talked about them quite a bit after Thursday night's big win over the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. We are joined now by Barrett Salee. You can go read him at CBS Sports. Uh, And Barrett, uh, before we get going with some college football breakdown, you're in Atlanta. There are a couple of big Atlanta storylines going on. First of all, the Braves in the postseason – I don't think anybody anticipated that before the season started. How excited is Atlanta for the Braves' postseason run to start? Really pumped, Clay. I mean, I've been here for 38 years, and uh, I've been a season ticket holder since I was born, and, and I remember 1991 as a kid very well. And this is comparable to 1991. If you remember, they went worst to first, went to the World Series, lost to the Twins. Not saying that's going to happen this year, but uh, the excitement, the drama, um, you know, the the – the surprise that the entire season has, uh, you know, was, I think, has sort of uh, captivated the city. So, uh, you know, I think it's, um, it's going to have that, that same kind of feel. Um, you know, it, in 1991, early 90s, Fulton County was rocking. Um, and I think SunTrust will be like that uh, this week or next week um, starting Sunday. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big deal. It, it's as big of a deal as 1991 uh, because I think a lot of people around here look at this team and, and say, you know what? Um, that one had staying power, and and this one probably does too. Um, That is intriguing in and of itself. Who do you think Braves fans want? Would they rather play the Dodgers or the Rockies, or does it really matter to them? I I don't think it matters all that much. If if there was a slight edge, maybe the Dodgers, just because I I think they can – the pitching staff can probably deal more with them in terms of, of, uh, you know, strikeouts and things like that. Um, The Rockies – top to bottom that lineup i mean they were here you know a month and a half ago that lineup is is not just powerful they 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 dink and dunk you to death too and so i think probably the dodgers all right so that's baseball and obviously we've got the two play-in games going on today between the cubs and the brewers and the uh and the and the dodgers and the uh, rockies tough Brutal loss for the second straight week for the Atlanta Falcons, who are now fallen, I believe, to one and three. Lost back-to-back home uh, home games, just uh, in devastating fashion. What is the vibe on the Falcons now uh, as the first month of the season is done and they're sitting at one and three? Honestly, the vibe is the season's over. Uh, that that is, I think, reality of of where that this team is and. It's not really due to anything that Steve Sarkeesian did, which is surprising because I think a lot of people around here figured he'd be the problem. It's just injuries. With, with so many people banged up with the defense that has you know three stars uh, lost for, uh, if not the entire year, most of the year, the feeling is that there's no chance of, of consistently being better than, than the Saints uh, or, or the, uh, the Panthers in the division and, and that the defense is going to be a liability 
pretty much the entire season. And, and while Matt Ryan's great and, you know, there's, there's a lot of talent on the offensive side, you know, it's going to be one of those, those seasons where if you kick a field goal instead of a touchdown in a couple drives, um, you're done. And so uh, I just, I, one and three start with no defense. I think it's, uh, it's pretty clear that this season's lost. All right, let's go to college football. Biggest game, most interesting game I thought of the weekend by far. I was there in person for the whiteout for Penn State against Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State steals it away late. Was this more of a Penn State loss or an Ohio State win? I mean, I still think it was an Ohio State win. Um, certainly the fourth and five call was atrocious, and, and Penn State certainly could have made some noise had that call not been had not been made. But you have to give credit to Ohio State for what they did. Tough tough spot, uh, really raucous atmosphere at night. One of the most unique atmospheres, I think, in college football when it's the whiteout at Penn State at night. And they came back from a 12-point hole, um, and they did it you know, while Dwayne Haskins was under fire. And you heard the pregame talk where – um, some of his former high school teammates said, hey, look, you get him out of the pocket, you get him rattled, he'll fold. And for three quarters, that looked accurate. And to his credit, he you know, got himself together and, and made some really, really big plays in the face of a ton of pressure in the fourth quarter coming out of that 12-point hole. So uh, to me, it's, it's more Ohio State winning. It's more Ohio State um, not backing down and, and not being intimidated by a hostile atmosphere. Um, and that's not to say that, that Penn State necessarily threw it away. I think the only reason Penn State, you could argue, threw it away was the fourth and five call. Outside of that, they just got beat by a slightly better team that night. And I think it's, it's weird coming out of that game. I kind of felt like both of those teams are still top five, top six teams in the country. I can see that argument for sure. What would your college football – well, let's go first to the other big top ten game. Notre Dame dominates uh, Stanford. How much better is Notre Dame with Ian Book? How much uh, do you at this point think, you know what, Notre Dame's got a pretty decent chance to make the college football playoff? Well, second question first. They've got a really good chance to make the college football playoff because the rest of their schedule is absolute cake. And and getting by Stanford in the way that they did, it probably was the last big game they'll play. So that works, you know, in in two ways. One, um, you know, your resume sort of is what it is at this point, and, and the playoff committee is going to look at that. But on the flip side, you're not going to get that many chances late to impress. That might work against them. But, you know, I think it's very likely that they, they finish 10-2, and 11-1, and 1, even 12-0, and 0, and, and at that point they're definitely in the conversation. And with Ian Book, you know, I think it shows just how much a guy who can just complete the passes consistently, do the small things consistently through the air, you know, it goes a long way because the offense clicks. Um, you know, Ian Book's mobile enough to, to do some damage, just like Brandon Wimbush, but unlike Brandon Wimbush, he's he's a threat through the air. And he doesn't have to go out there and be Joe Montana. He just has to look like Joe Montana every once in a while, and, and he can do that. And so, yeah, they're dangerous. They're extremely dangerous. And, and with the defense that they've got, um, you know, it's one of those that's, that's almost that, – that's solid – week in and week out, yeah, they're a threat to make the playoff. And, and again, you look down the stretch in their schedule, the toughest game they have is probably USC, maybe Virginia Tech this weekend, although I, I would have to stretch my mind in a lot of different ways to, to count that as a big game. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a, not a cakewalk for them, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if they ran the table. All right, let's talk about Clemson. They make the decision to go with Trevor Lawrence as their starting quarterback. He gets knocked out uh, of the game late in the first half. They don't play well with him at quarterback. They're very fortunate to win when Chase Bryce comes in and leads them to victory. Clemson still doesn't have a top 25 opponent on their schedule the rest mm-hmm. of the way. I believe it's still correct. Um, what do you see happening here? What's going to happen with Trevor Lawrence? Uh, did Dabo misplay this? Like, what is the, the, the vibe on Clemson right now? I don't think he misplayed it because he had no knowledge or no, you know, couldn't guess that Trevor Lawrence would get hurt the first game as a starting quarterback. So I think he played it just fine. Um, Trevor was going to be a guy from the outset, uh, and, and he gave Kelly a chance to, to win the job, and Kelly didn't. And now Kelly has a chance to go you know, play somewhere else and, and still maintain a redshirt this year. So I think he played it just fine. Just unfortunately for him and unfortunately for Clemson, you had Trevor Lawrence get hurt in the first game uh, that he started. So you know, that's unfortunate. But I think in terms of, of what it means for Clemson, 
Chase Bryce can play. I mean, Chase Bryce, you know, you saw in that second half on a fourth down pass, that's what he can do. And, and I saw that kid play in high school a few times in some camps, too. You know, he was as good as Jake Fromm. Trevor Lawrence was at a camp. He was as good as Trevor Lawrence in the camp. I think was, was one of those kids a few years ago that was sort of a diamond in the rough. He wanted to go to Clemson to learn, to redshirt, to, to, to become a, a, a college student before a college football player. And I think because he'd been in the program for a while, he was you know, able to come in and, and take that situation and run with it. So they can win with Chase Bryce. I don't have any doubt in my mind. I don't know if they can win a playoff with him, but they can win and get to a playoff with him. I think the beauty for Clemson right now is they've got Wake this weekend. They don't play a lick of defense, and they have a bye week. So, you know, you, you have a long time, if you're Trevor Lawrence, if you need it, to, you know, sort of get right and get ready. And in the meantime, they're fully capable of, of handling business with Chase Bryce out there. So I don't think it really messes with them and their plans, you know, in the, in the near term. Now, long term, you know, yeah, you can't win a playoff with Chase Bryce. I think he's a good quarterback. He can get you there. But you need Trevor Lawrence. And so as long as he's ready by, by late November, which I'm assuming that he will be unless something else happens, uh, Clemson will be just fine. By the way, quote uh, from Dabo yesterday on Trevor Lawrence. Um, here is a direct quote. Uh, that He was really good. Um, this is uh, Dabo talking about Trevor Lawrence. He was trying to come back in the game yesterday. This is a quote from Sunday night. But anytime you get something with the head neck area, there's no room for error. He was really good after the game and really good this morning. Felt great. I think they were very encouraged with what they saw. He'll work out and they'll continue to reevaluate him. Hopefully they put him back in practice this week. So it doesn't sound like, at least based on those quotes, that this Trevor Lawrence injury is going to be something that is a multi-multi-week injury situation. What would your college football playoff be right now if you were on the committee? The reason why I ask that is I think we're setting up for potentially some messy situations if you kind of schedule watch, right? I don't think anybody's going to beat Alabama. I think Alabama Mm -hmm. is going to go 13-0. Maybe Georgia can give them a challenge in the SEC championship game. Uh, maybe LSU on the road can can get a couple of turnovers from Tua. But based on what I've seen so far, Alabama is head and shoulders above everybody else. I think Alabama is going to go 13-0. There's a decent chance, we'll see what happens, that Ohio State could do the same now that they've got past what I think is their most difficult challenge. They survived Penn State. Clemson doesn't play a top 25 team left. Really, Notre Dame doesn't. I'm not really counting Virginia Tech as a top 25 team, even though technically they're at the very bottom of the top 25 and Oklahoma should be a substantial favorite over really everybody else they play. Now, obviously, you got the Red River uh, shootout this weekend. Maybe Texas can make a, a statement game there, something like that. What happens if you end up with five undefeated teams and Notre Dame is one of them? Because the five undefeated teams at that point in time would all be big, glowing brands, right? You'd have Alabama, yeah. you'd have Clemson, you'd have Ohio State, you would have Oklahoma, and you would have Notre Dame. If I gave you those five and said all five of them are going to go undefeated, now the odds of that happening are low. But if it happened, which guy gets left out? Which oh man, that well, first of all, you'd have plenty of radio content. So that, oh that's yeah, good for that, you. <laughs> that is. I'm already starting it early. I'm starting it early with what if everybody goes undefeated. But I, the reason why I think it's particularly unique this year is Notre Dame is I think going to be in the mix. Now maybe now yeah. that I were talking about it right now, they'll lose to Virginia Tech this weekend and they'll <laughs> knock themselves out. But if they beat Virginia Tech, I think it's it, it, a lot of times talking about whether a team's going to go undefeated is crazy. But when you have Clemson, who is going to be probably double-digit favorite over everybody else for the rest of their season, if Notre Dame can win this game, I think they're likely to be nearly a double-digit favorite the rest of the way. Oklahoma may be, uh, you know, I know they finished the season off with uh, with West Virginia, but I feel like they're seven and a half, eight-point favorites over Texas this weekend. Oklahoma in the Big 12 is a pretty big favorite. Bama is just a juggernaut. The answer may be it doesn't matter because Bama's so much better than everybody else. It doesn't even matter uh, who makes the college football playoff. But that's five big brands, and I don't think it's crazy to look at those five big brands and say, okay, we could be trending towards a situation where all five of those are in the mix. Yeah, I mean, if that happens... Um, you we know, get an 18 playoff? Well, maybe. I would think that, that Notre Dame would have to be out and the reason I say this is because since everything's a big brand, and, and you said this throughout the creation of the playoff, and I have as well, it, it's a it, it's a it's a Super Bowl type event that you need to have brand recognition from across the spectrum. Since that would be all you know, all five major brands, 
you actually have to look at merit. And in that situation, I think Notre Dame would be out. And it's mostly due to the fact that in that situation, Oklahoma would have beaten Texas this weekend and run the Big 12 schedule and then beaten another really good team in the Big 12 championship game, no matter who it is. You know, Clemson with Clemson, you won't have to worry about them. Oklahoma, I think, might have been the four seed, and the battle would be between them and Notre Dame. And the resume, the hypothetical resume, I think would be in favor of the Sooners. Um, you know, I think, though, if you look at resumes, though, um, you know, Clemson might get the benefit of the doubt because it's Clemson, but they might have the worst resume of the five in that scenario. So, yeah. Um, you know, it, it would be it would be very messy, and I would be here for all of the mess. That would be fantastic content. All right, we're talking to Barrett Saligo. Read him at cbssports.com. You can follow him at Barrett, two R's, two T's, two L's, two E's uh, on Twitter at Barrett Salee. Okay, let's go right into uh, to this, this fact, which I love. There are three teams right now in Big Five conferences. So I'm leaving out Central Florida. So everybody who's a Central mm-hmm. Florida fan, I'm not talking about you, although you guys have been fantastic. Five major conferences. There are three teams that have been that are undefeated and have won every game this year by double digits. First two, probably not going to surprise very many people. Alabama and Georgia. Third mm-hmm. team, Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky is 5-0 and and has won every game by double digits so far this year. How good is Kentucky? Good, but not great. Uh, because I'd argue the, the opener against Central Michigan, um, double digits was a miracle to get to that point. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're very good. You know, I think Benny Snell, we knew about him. Terry Wilson, nobody knew how good he'd be at quarterback because he was in a battle with Gunnar Hoke all offseason. And, and that dude fits exactly what they want to do. And credit Eddie Grand, their offensive coordinator, to, you know, bending his system consistently to fit the strength of his quarterbacks. And so, um, you know, that one-two punch is, is, is incredible, and that's a, a surprise in terms of the quarterback. I think the biggest thing that they've done is on both sides of the line of scrimmage, they have grown men in terms of, of not just size and strength but age. They've got mature guys who have been in the program for a very long time who are also – not only ultra-talented, but ultra-developed, like Josh Allen, who I think he was a two-star kid, and now he's going to be a first-round draft pick. So they've got, they've got adults playing on both lines of scrimmage. Now, they don't have the depth, and you have to make sure for Kentucky that you, you don't have some injuries, but they're a legit top 10, top 15 team. They're, they're, they're a serious threat, the most serious threat to Georgia in the SEC East, and it's because they can play – um, you know, grown man football at the line of scrimmage on both sides. And, and I think for a team like Kentucky in a program, like you get these years. Sometimes you have years where it just sort of comes together and you look at the, at the line of scrimmage and you say, wow, you know, these guys are redshirt juniors. These guys are redshirt seniors. They're, they're adults who have done this for, you know, multiple seasons together. And, and a lot of times that is what makes some of those teams come out of nowhere. And Kentucky's that team this year. So I, I think when they get to, uh, the Georgia game, which I believe is, is November 3rd, they might be undefeated still. And, and that might be the game that decides the SEC East. All right. Uh, last question for you. Big game coming up this weekend for LSU, which I think is still a bit of an enigma. How good is LSU? Uh, what do you see happening between LSU going on the road against Florida and how good are the Gators coming off a second big road win, Mississippi State this week, Tennessee last week? I think it's going to look like a um, much uglier, if that's possible, version of the LSU-Auburn game, where you know Auburn couldn't uh, muster up a lot of offense and, and nearly found a way to win it. And Florida's offense, I think, is a little bit of a step back. And so um, you know, it's going to come down to defense. It's going to come down to Joe Burrow making a play or two. Um, because Florida, say what you will about their offense, and, and there's a lot of, uh, of doubt out there, even after the two wins, that Florida's offense is still halfway, is even halfway decent. But their defense has been lights out. So uh, on the road in a tough environment, Joe Burrow has done it before. We've seen that now. Now Florida's going to probably make him do it again. And and so I'm surprised the lines came out. I think LSU was only a two-and-a-half-point road favorite, which is, I think, a little shocking to me. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be a tough test. Florida is, is not necessarily a legit team, but they're a legit threat in the game because of the swamp and because of the defense and because – Joe Burrow still is relatively unproven. So 
um, you know, I, I think LSU will probably get the job done, but you know, I, I expect that to be a, a really, really ugly football game, a lot like uh, Florida and Mississippi State last weekend, because that's the way Florida has to play, and they can dictate it. And quite honestly, it's kind of the way LSU wants to play, too. Outstanding stuff, as always. Appreciate you waking up early with us. Enjoy that Braves playoff run. Pray for the Falcons. That's Barrett Salee at Barrett Salee on Twitter. You can go read him at cbssports.com. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. We bring in now, as we do every single Monday, Alex Marvez. Go follow him on Twitter at Alex Marvez. You can listen to him on SiriusXM, and uh, I'm sure that he has got much to take away. But let's start with the overtimes. I think the number one story probably coming out of overtime is going to be looking at the decision Mike Vrabel made versus the decision Frank Reich made. Did you like them both? Did you like one? Did you like not the other? How would you assess the overtime decision-making? Because let's be honest, there aren't a lot of precedents now for what to do in overtime, especially now that it's a 10-minute overtime, especially now that you get the ball as long as you don't give up a touchdown. Both teams get the ball. What say you about the performances of uh, those two teams in overtime? You know what? Here's the thing. I'll start with the Colts, and, and I, I dislike the Frank Reich decision so much uh, I, because just field position and common sense. The Houston Texans are 0-3. If they don't win this game, Clay, coming back from 0-3-1, I mean, that's really tough to make the postseason, right? And instead, by, by going for it, not converting, and then allowing this team to still get some hope, not so good. You know what I mean? For the Tennessee Titans, I think it was a little bit different. I mean, this is, you know, I, I just thought it was different. They decided, you know, they were going to kick this field goal. Vrabel apparently knew what he was doing all along, went for it on fourth and two. By the way, the Titans three and three fourth down conversions against the Eagles uh, on Sunday, not too shabby. I, I don't have a problem with it from that standpoint, trying to win the game there. I just thought in the case of Frank Reich, look, you pushed it as far as you could. You couldn't convert. Take the tie, go home, and it's going to help you later in the season. Instead now, and I know all the bravado and gusto, we're going to go for it every time. Well, you know what? That's not real smart. May as well just go for it on fourth downs as well instead of punting. Particularly for the Colts now because they have the Patriots next and they have to go on the road. The Patriots obviously performed really well against the Dolphins, but if you fall to one and four, the Colts season is effectively over, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, well, I think it's going to be over pretty soon anyway. How about this, by the way, for defensive snaps played? And this is going into a Thursday night game. And I'm not trying to tell people if they gamble how to spend their money, Clay. But I will say this. The Indianapolis Colts played 77 snaps on the defensive side of the football. New England, 49 snaps. That was it. And they're hosting a Thursday night game, being able to play. They weren't even on the road. It's the NFL and their quirky scheduling, right? I mean, allowing a team to play again, another, you know, not having to send them on the road and allowing them to play at home on a short week. I mean, I think, you know, not that the Patriots are truly back, but they should be able to handle this game on Thursday, even without Rob Gronkowski going to be a question mark now because of his ankle. And we're still not sure if Julian Edelman will be on the field just because it's so early in the week. He is eligible to come back from that four-game suspension. But, I mean, for Indianapolis now, yeah, this, this is – this was just this was silly. It was just it was a mistake made by a first year head coach who got a little bit maybe you know too happy on the success that the Eagles had on fourth down. This was different. Know your know your game situation and understand it in the big picture. That's where I think Frank Reich made a big mistake. You got zapped, Alex. Right when I was asking you about the the decision with with Alex. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe it's uh, the ghost of Ray Malavasi all over me when we talk yeah, about are, the Rams. I don't know. Are you the know, Rams listen, the favorite in the play. NFC? I'm play. They're legit. I mean, look, the Rams are the best team in the NFL. I mean, it's not even close. And you know, because it's at all three levels, right? I mean, offensively, I, I mean, where do you stop them? Do you stop them in the passing game? I mean, that's so difficult right now with the way Jared Goff is playing and the fact that they have such great, you know, a great trio at wide receiver. Plus, now starting to work Gerald Everett into the mix and with Todd Gurley until Le'Veon Bell comes back, if he ever does get off that water ski. Well, you know, he is the yeah. best all-around running back in the NFL. Defensively, there are some flaws. You know, you, you worry a little bit about depth in the secondary just because of, you know, keep to lead being out now until at least December. Plus, the, the linebacking crew leaves a little bit to be desired, and they may be able to be attacked by teams with running backs and with good tight ends. But by and large, usually they're going to affect the quarterback, and they have great safety play. And then special teams, even with the injuries that have hit it, they're generally regarded as the best special teams unit in football. And, you know, they, they, the nice thing, too, about this team is that there was so much hype surrounding it during the offseason season. It would have been very easy for this team to maybe buy into that and get fat and happy before they, you know, ever did anything. And instead, they haven't. I mean, they won their first three games by double digits. They took care of the Vikings 
at home, and I would imagine now the Rams probably going to be favored in just about every game. But when you look at the rest of the division play, see, this is where the Rams can really make some hay. Seattle's a train wreck. Arizona's playing a rookie quarterback in Josh Rosen, and San Francisco's got C.J. Beathard. I mean, this may be a Rams team. I don't think they're going undefeated. They have a string of three straight road games coming up and play. No team since the 2014 Bengals have won three straight on the road. I mean, it is just very rare even for really good teams to do. It's just only happened once, I think, in the past decade or so. So I think the Rams ultimately will lose a game, but 14-2 and two for the regular season, very possible, very possible home field advantage of being able to rest players in the month of December. All right, what's up with the Steelers? They oh, uh, yeah. they now are one. It's a odd record, so I want to make sure I get it right. One, two, and one. They are actually <laughs> in last place in the AFC North, even beneath the Browns, who got their uh, loss against the Raiders. The Raiders got off the 0-3 schneid. But what's going on with the Steelers? Because last week the talk was what's going on with the Patriots. Patriots come back with a big win. The Steelers got a big win on Monday, but then they got walloped pretty good at home now. I hate to say it, it's a crazy question, but a quarter of the way through the season, are they even a playoff team? Uh, it was the way Cincinnati and, and uh, Baltimore are playing. They, they may be on the outside looking in. First, let's talk about some of the things that Pittsburgh isn't doing well. They have 42 penalties for 401 yards, Clay. That leads the NFL. That doesn't reflect well upon the coaching of this team. Third down percentage, they're 28th in the NFL. They are only completing 30.6% of their third downs. That's terrible. The defensive side of the football, listen, we hear a lot about Keith Butler and, and you know, how what a great linebacker's coach he was and the defensive coordinator and, wait, coordinator and waiting behind Dick LeBeau. You know what? It's not working out. The, the secondary just doesn't play well time and time again. And I don't think it's necessarily a talent issue. I just think it, it's more of a scheme issue for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you, you just have so much doom and gloom around the team. There's no Le'Veon Bell. You know, Antonio Brown advancing his own personal agenda. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, who's, who's, you know, now, you know, starting to show some cracks in his game a little bit. But let's not take away from the Ravens either. I mean, this is a special Baltimore Ravens team. They held Pittsburgh 47 second-half yards last night. They're the first team since 2006 that hasn't allowed a touchdown in the second half in their first four games. Now, whether they can keep all this up, I don't know. It's an older team. I mean, guys like Eric Weddle, Terrell Suggs, Brandon Carr. I mean, these are all long-in-the-tooth type players. So expect them to perform at a high level over a long season. We'll have to see if they still have that juice uh, when the year uh, as the year unfolds. But Clay, the Steelers right now not playing good football, not a lot of confidence. And as all this goes on, the rumors are going to continue to swirl. Would the Steelers make a coaching change in 2019? And Mike Tomlin would be on the outs. Here's what I got for you when I look at the Steelers. Falcons, uh, which is not going to be an easy game. We'll talk about the Falcons here in a sec. Then you go to the Bengals. You got the Browns coming in. You'd like to think you can win that one. Then you go two Ravens. Then you got the Panthers coming in. Then you go two Jags, two Broncos back to back. And then the Chargers are coming to town. That's all but like leading through uh, October and November. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think, you know, Clay, listen, we, but remember here, the Bengals are still the Bengals, right? They're still <laughs> yeah. proven otherwise. Right. And, and I mean, and really, that's what a lot of this division I think is going to come down to is Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. Those two games, can the Bengals get over that hump? I mean, look, no one's going to believe in the Bengals until they win a playoff game, right? I mean, they can go 13 and 3, 12 and 4. They can have as much fun on offense as you want. And it's a really good offensive team, by the way. Uh, but it doesn't matter until they do something in the postseason. You know, and as for Baltimore, again, it's a longevity issue. And Cleveland, look, as goofy as it is and how they find new ways to lose each and every week, I mean, they're still a much more competitive team. I'm with you on the Steelers. Right now you're looking at about a 500 team at best unless unless some things change. And by the way, what would be a nice change for them is if Le'Veon Bell showed up and wanted to play some football for them. doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon. I know he's lost $3.5 million already uh, based upon this holdout. But, man, he does change the complexion of that offense. And, look, as good a player as James Conner is, it's not the same Pittsburgh offense without Le'Veon Bell on the field. Are the Falcons done? Yeah, because they can't stop anyone on defense. I mean, they remind me, I grew up a Chargers fan, so it reminds me a lot of, you know, the Halcyon days of Dan Fouts, and they're putting up 35 points, but then when you look up at the scoreboard, they've given up 38 type of deal, and they just they have no safety play. And DeMonte Kazee, I mean, Clay, this is a suspension waiting to happen. This guy does not know how to tackle in today's NFL. Got called on another unnecessary roughness hit, on Sunday could have been called for another type of spear, and then he missed the tackle going in leading with his head. 
I mean, he just doesn't get it. And, you know, he's one of your starting safeties. And now, listen, no, no more Earl Thomas trade talk, right? That's all effectively ended right now with him being carted off the field with that leg injury. There's really not much out there that can help him. The middle of that defense is a train wreck. I mean, that is what it is. The safety spots are terrible, and Deion Jones is just not, you know, he's not there. He's an injured reserve, and he is such a difference maker because he's so fast to my linebacker spot. Play that can score a bunch of points. You don't want to ever discount a team like that, but losing these home games the way that they have the past couple of weeks and these fourth quarter collapses that they've had now just doesn't bode well for this team. And I think, yeah, they're on the outside looking in. Although, look, Tampa Bay, I mean, how bad are they, right? And Carolina and New Orleans, not sure if they're world beaters yet either. So they'll hang around, but I just at the end, Falcons won't be there. You just mentioned them. What in the world happened with the Bucks on the road against the Bears? I mean, this is a Tampa Bay team that with three minutes left in Monday Night Football, Fitzmagic was still potentially fully in effect. They were ready to drive down, try to get the win against the Steelers. They aren't able to do it. They go three and out. They don't get the ball back. And then just an absolute I don't even like. I don't even know what the phrase is. Like a, a total <laughs> debacle on the road against the Bears. What happened? Well, look at let's look at the defense. And this is a and listen. I love me to Mike Smith as a person. He's a personal friend. Known him for a long time. But professionally, his defense has now given up 400 or more yards for the 19th time in 36 games. Think about that. More than half of the games that he has been the defensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, his unit has given up this yardage. Look, it's a flawed offense, and teams caught up with it. They can't run the football. They have nothing at running back, right, that really scares you. So teams figured out some things to do in the passing game. Also, I don't want to diminish, though, how good the Chicago Bears are becoming. Okay? I mean, listen, they're second in the NFL at turnover differential at plus six. They have eight interceptions this season, and that goes along with that leading the NFL in sacks, the whole thing has been how quickly can you get Mitchell Trubisky up to speed? Yesterday, four for four in the red zone, 154.6 quarterback rating. Plus, it was after the first series, the guy did some things. You know, when you have the scripted plays, he's been great. And then you have to play the final three quarters. Not so good for Mitchell Trubisky. He really stepped up his game against the hapless Bucks team. And listen, Dirk Cutter has created his own controversy with the quarterbacks, by the way he's handling it. He just seems so squeamish as to what he's wanted to do. I mean, you had that quick a hook on the first quarterback in NFL history to pass for 400 yards for three straight games. That's how you felt about Ryan Fitzpatrick. You just thought you could pop Jameis in there and there wouldn't be a drop-off? Really? And, and to tell your team that there's a, what a lack of faith that you had in Ryan Fitzpatrick, that you were willing to go to Jameis Winston, or I'm sorry, to Ryan Griffin during the game on Monday night. Ryan Griffin would have been your guy because he was unhappy with the way Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing. This is not a healthy situation in Tampa, and I think the clock is ticking on the Dirk Cutter regime. What's going to happen with Jameis? He comes in, he throws two interceptions. It theoretically is his team now, right? I mean, isn't that the decision that has to be made? Is Jameis Winston the long-range future of the Bucks? If Dirk Cutter doesn't have a long-range future, does a new coach want to come in and, and go to Jameis Winston at $20 million a year? What I mean, it's amazing how quickly things can change in the NFL, but what's the storyline here? Well, the storyline is this. Can Dirk get the Buccaneers into the playoffs or a 9-7 and seven type of record with Jameis Winston leading the way to buy himself some more time? And then he can say, look, I went 2-1 and one without Jameis. Yeah, we had a bad game against Chicago, but a lot of teams have bad games, right? And ultimately, at the end of the season, if they're a playoff team, Dirk Cutter probably stays, and the reason he stays is because they'll say that he developed Jameis Winston effectively. Where it gets, tra- And he realizes, too, that his wagon is hitched to Jameis Winston because there's only so much upside with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So you're going to have to play Jameis, hope that he continues to show the same improvement from last year and get you to where you need to be to stick around. Otherwise, that's going to be a decision of a new head coach. And who's the GM? Is it going to be Jason Light? Does he distinguish himself enough to get another chance to hire yet another head coach? I mean, we had him working with Lovey Smith. We have him working... With Dirk Cutter, is he going to get to hire another guy? And then does that guy come in? And it's going to be an offensive-minded coach, I'm pretty darn sure. What is their plan for Jameis Winston? I think it also depends, too, how much how does Buck's ownership feel about this? Do they say, no, we've invested in Jameis Winston, we want to stick with him, and another coach will make him play better? And you continue to go down that road with Jameis, because that's what some of this is going to be as well. You know, when you Sometimes when these coaches get hired, they say a lot of things they may not necessarily mean, but they'll say it in the interview process just to get the job. So, I mean, that's what I think is going to happen, though, there. If the, if the Bucks want to hear that Jameis Winston is fixable and can be their franchise quarterback, 
then that's what they're going to look for in their next coach. If the new guy coming in says, no, I want the Jews to be able to get rid of Jameis Winston, use that $20 million elsewhere, and we'll draft another quarterback and start over, or do something in free agency, well, then Jameis is out. Outstanding stuff, as always, by the way. How good was Mariota in the second half in overtime? Uh, Marcus Mariota, he still can't even feel his fingers, okay? <laughs> he can't feel his fingers, and he's doing that, but let's give a tip of the cap as well to the NFL's number one red zone defense. They are only allowing a 20% success rate on touchdowns last year, 55% on tu- on t- in 2017 allowing touchdowns in the red zones. By the way, we're going to find out how real Tennessee is coming up, not after Buffalo next week, not after that game. they got four road games in a five-week span, the lone home game, November 11th versus the Patriots. I know you and your family will be there for that one huge game. We'll know a lot more about the Titans then. Outstanding stuff as always. He's Alex Marvez. Go follow him on Twitter. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The, I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends.